God, thank you for your word, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful we have our Bibles in our hand and, and we can know truth, see the truth, and learn the truth and study it, God. That you have given us your word throughout all these centuries that stayed together, Lord. The whole Bible, Old and New Testament, and it's because of you. So, Lord, this is a precious time, God. We treasure what we hold in our hands. And, Lord, we treasure this time with you right now. So we ask for your touch, your blessings, God. Bless your word, anoint it in Jesus' name. Amen. I read this article about this one man with one rake. He made a difference in South Venice, Florida. For four years now, a a man named Rick Eaton drove to the Siesta Waterway and raked the muck from the bottom of this ditch, basically. It's like a drainage dish. Sometimes the article said he sank deeper than his knees with all this junk and muck there. And then eventually others joined in, neighbors and things, helping him just rake this muck. But it all started with one man with one rake. All the effort actually changed this clogged and muddy soup of, of this ditch. Now there is a flowing stream. It emerged uh, with a solid sandy bottom and clear water is seen again. They say frogs are back, crabs are back, the fish are back, and the birds are back now. I love that. One man with one rake made a big difference to that community. Well, as we return here to the book of Acts, we find how one man, Paul, made a big difference in the city of Ephesus. So I titled our message tonight, The Impact of One Person Filled with the Word and the Holy Spirit. It's a long title, but I wanted you to really grasp what's going on here. It's this impact of Paul, this one person, this one man, filled with the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, our title, The Impact of One Person Filled with the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to be uh, studying Acts chapter 19 from verse 8 to verse 20 tonight. We're picking up this next section. And we're going to see four things. This is our points to Number one, the unrelenting soldier. Number two, the unusual miracles. Number three, the unexpected outcome. And number four, the unreserved conviction. So those are the four things we're going to find in our passage here tonight. Let's begin with number one in the impact of one person filled with the Word and the Holy Spirit. Number one in our outline and our point is the unrelenting soldier. The unrelenting soldier. And of course, we're talking about Paul. Now here we're going to cover verse 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10. And let's go ahead and read that whole section, then we'll we'll, we'll go through it little by little. Verse 8. And he entered a synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So we'll stop right there. Now, we begin here. It says, and he, that's Paul. Paul 
entered the synagogue and for three months now spoke boldly, reasoning, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And of course, he's talking about Jesus, right? He's talking about how the Messiah is Jesus. He's going into the Jewish synagogue, and this is his missionary mode of operation, right? His MMO. When he travels on his missionary journey, which here where he's in his third missionary journey, he always goes to the city and he he goes straight to the synagogue, and as we learned Sunday, to the Jews first, right? So he's going to his own countrymen, trying to show them reason. Remember, we've been seeing that throughout his missionary uh, journeys, where he's reasoning, like logically discussing and talking story with them, how in the Old Testament, the scriptures point to the Messiah, who is Jesus, who fulfilled those prophecies. So here's Paul once again in this in this city uh, doing that, the city of Ephesus. Now he's in Ephesus. Remember, we we came to Ephesus last week. We saw in um, the first few verses here, and that there he, he he he's there now doing what he does. Remember last week he he met those twelve guys who only knew of John, but. Then he talked to them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them when they got saved. But now, he, he's in the synagogue, and I like this. He's persuading, he's boldly now, reasoning and persuading them. He's, he's strongly convincing, that's what persuading did. And what's amazing to me is, is he was there three months. That this lasted for three months, him going to the synagogue every week, probably the Sabbath services, they allowed him to come, and maybe other times he went in. But he boldly kept persuading, speaking about Jesus. Now, I want you to key in on this word boldly here in verse 8, because it's important. In Ephesus now, Ephesus is a very dark city. I would say that it, it, there's a lot of demonic and evil that's going on there. Well, we know about Ephesus back then in the ancient world. It was a major city there. It boasted about 300,000 people, which was pretty big for ancient cities back there. It was the capital of uh, the Roman province of Asia. Now, Asia is that whole area there today. Uh, it's Turkey. It's a country of Turkey. But they called that whole area Asia. And Ephesus was like that main city of that Roman province. It had a very large harbor, so it became a commercial center. Along, It came along with, remember, Corinth was one too. Antioch was another one. So Ephesus was one of, uh, another one of those three major uh, ports and harbor, commercial center. You know what's interesting today is Ephesus isn't by the ocean. Uh, The land kind of filled in. So I I think that's kind of interesting. So because of the trade and being a commercial center, the city became very wealthy. So a lot of money was flowing there, a lot of rich guys coming here, a lot of tradesmen, a lot of manufacturing. All of that was going on. But it was also known for the Temple of Diana there. It was one of the seven wonders of the world back then. I was reading how this temple was huge. It was one and one-third as big as a a football field. I mean, it was bigger than a football field, and one-third bigger. They say there was 100 columns in this temple, 50 uh, uh, feet high, like uh, like a five-story, over a five-story high building. 
And so people came for that too, to see that, to come to this place. A, a lot of things were going on, big city stuff, you know. But along with it, well, there was also a lot of occultish stuff going on. Inside the temple stood what they called a sacred image, um, which they call Artemis or Diana, I uh, believe, fell from the heavens to that spot. Now, uh, they say it's probably a meteorite that fell, but, but that became this goddess that they worship. And, and Diana is the fertility goddess. So you can imagine that. With that, this woman god, a goddess, part of the worship there in the temple of Diana was hundreds of priestesses basically going out uh, in prostitution to raise money for the temple and all. So, so you can imagine all this going on, the prostitution, the occultish practices that were going on in, in this temple and all. And so the whole city, it spread out into the whole city. The city was steeped in occult practices. Well, in this dark place is Paul. He comes. He comes into the synagogue. He comes in. Paul does not back down. He boldly now he, and consistently brought, brings in the light of Jesus. Uh, there, no wonder Paul wrote in Ephes- to the Ephesians church in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6.12, you remember what he wrote? In the armor of God. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is writing to the Ephesians there, the Ephesian church there. And no wonder he writes that, because this place was a dark city. But Paul comes in boldly, boldly, kind of like guns blazing here. Well, Of course, the enemy didn't like Paul speaking the truth. So it goes on in verse 9. But when some uh, became stubborn and continued in unbelief, that's talking about the Jews that are in the synagogue, right? Uh, Stubborn and continued unbelief, speaking evil of the way. The way is the way Jesus, Christians, before the congregation, uh, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. So there's these Jewish guys and the enemy is pushing back. The enemy of our souls is pushing back here. And these local Jews began to resist the truth that Paul was giving. And they're holding to this agenda. We don't like him. We want to get him out. So they start to talk stink about Paul and about Christians and about Jesus. So here's the enemy using these guys and their prejudices, their stubbornness to come into the synagogue and disrupt things and it looks like even dividing the congregation there. But Paul, what did he do? He withdrew from them. I mean, didn't he do that in, in, at the, uh, I think it was in Corinth, right? He went to synagogue. They didn't like it. Uh, they, and so he went to what? The Gentiles. And he went and spoke to them. So he said, okay, that's all right. I'm going. So he withdrew from them. And look where he went. And took the disciples, those who believed in Jesus and were saved with him. And then he was reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, uh, most likely, Tyrannus is this uh, teacher of philosophy back then. 
And he probably had this philosophy school, his little college there, his little school there to, to you know, raise up his philosophy students and disciples there. In an ancient Greek text, it actually said that Paul uh, taught from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And that was like when the city would take sort of a break during the day. I guess back then that was their, you know, like in Spanish countries, the siesta. Yeah, it's the time they eat, take a nap. Well, that's how Ephesus was. Uh, One commentator said more would be asleep at 1 p.m. than 1 a.m. So that was like their nap time. Then they go back work, stay up late, or do whatever they do. So here's Paul now. He finds a place. Most likely he's renting this this lecture hall. I mean, they're not using it. Hey, can I use it? Oh, sure, go in. And now he's going there, and he's teaching the word there. He's talking about Jesus there. And it would seem that he was teaching from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. So he just continues to do that daily to the point where in verse 10 it says this continued for two years so that all the residents of asia heard the word of the lord both jews and greeks so we don't know how much time he spent before he started teaching a synagogue those three months but once he came to this lecture hall he continued to just teach two years you guys Two years he kept going. Later in Acts 20, we'll, we'll see that Luke writes three years he was in Ephesus. So, so it's probably some other things he did there. But it was during that time that, as far as we know, Paul never left Ephesus, but he just kept teaching. And yet all the residents and all of Asia in this area heard about Jesus Christ. So we assume that he probably taught the word and then you know guys got saved people got saved and he raised up disciples and they went out and shared jesus christ it's believed that probably it was during this time the colossians church started we we have a epistle a letter to the colossians it's it's most likely that all the seven churches in the book of revelation those seven letters that jesus gave was started during these two three years that paul was here so I'm excited to read that. I go, wow, Lord. You know, I like how Paul, he didn't back down. He kept going. Even he got opposition. He found another place and he kept preaching. And God blessed his efforts right here in Ephesus. And it spread out to all of the whole area, that province of Asia. Now, let me fill in the picture a little bit. Uh, and we'll see this in the next chapter. But for now, just so you get this idea of Paul and and, and his schedule and what he did, you know, during this time. In Acts 20, 31, it says that, as I mentioned, Paul spent three years doing this. So I'm thinking his schedule, he was pretty busy for, for those three years. In Acts 20, 31, it says that it was night and day, Paul said. Night and day, I was with you guys. I was teaching you guys. Night and day. So uh, um, I'm thinking this. It says in 2031, night and day, uh, Paul didn't just teach, say, from 11 to 4 p.m. But then afterwards, at night, not just the day, but at night, he continued to, to go on teaching. Matter of fact, verse 20 of Acts 20 says that he went from house to house to house. So maybe he went to someone's house and had dinner and then, hey, taught some more. So can you imagine from 11 to 4, he's at the lecture hall, and then... After that, he's still going house to house, still teaching. 
On top of that, Acts 20, 34 indicates that Paul provided for his own necessities. And my guess is in the morning before 11, from early in the morning, he's probably tent making, right? That was his trade. That was his tent making job where he can provide for himself. And, and so he goes, you know, I, you know, I didn't ask you guys. I provided for my necessities. So early in the morning, he's making tents. From 11 to 4, he's teaching in the lecture hall. And then at night, he's going from house to house and discipling, teaching other guys. Boy, I'm tired just thinking about that, right? For three years, he's doing this. All the while, though, listen, he's battling the enemy. What happened in the synagogue is just, just a little bit of what was going on. In Acts twenty nineteen, it says that he, he was serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials, it says, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So there's this constant threat on his life from the Jews who wanted to get rid of him. And, and behind that is who? Satan, of course. Now, in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he wrote this, and he, 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 was, he, uh, um, he was writing from Ephesus when he wrote the book of Corinthians. So he's in Ephesus, and he writes here in 1 Corinthians 69, For a wide door of effective work is open to me, and that's what we're seeing. And there are many adversaries. So you get a kind of picture of his life through these years that he's here in Ephesus. He's He's, he's not backing down. He's doing the work, but at the same time, there's a lot of battles going on. So that's why I want you to see, this is Paul, the unrelenting soldier of Christ. He did all he could in battling for souls. That's Paul. That's his heart. That's him continuing to go and go. And chapter 20, when you get there, is one of my favorite chapters. The things he says, the things that is in his heart. I mean, he just perseveres. He has one goal in mind. Glorify God by bringing Jesus to the people. No matter what the enemy may do. No matter the battles he's, he faces. But he's unrelenting. He's the soldier of Christ. But he's a soldier. I mean, he's a soldier, soldier of Christ. He's unrelenting, doing all he could in battling for souls. And you know what? That, that should be you and I. The enemy comes against us, tries to stop us one way or another. Sometimes for me, it's, it's my mind. Man. <laughs> Things roll in my mind. And, and, and there's, I, I can see the enemy trying to, trying to touch on my own insecurities, yeah? Or, or we get hurt, or we are discouraged and lay low. You know, we're just brought down like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I let go. Jay Gerson, um, a theologian, Jay Gerson Machin said, It is impossible to be a true soldier of Jesus Christ and not fight. It's been said so well so many times that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground, right? So we're in it, you guys. Once we come to the Lord, you know what? The enemy's against us. We're, we used to be on his side, right? We jump ship. We're with Christ now. We have Jesus in us, and he's mad. He's mad at you. He wants to bring you down. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you anyway. 
He just fooled you in thinking that you were okay. But no, he had his plan already, scamming you, trying to bring you down, from take you down that road that you destroy yourself. But now that you're a believer, now that you, believe, now that you belong to God, oh, he's even more mad. And he, he targets you guys because especially when you're out there bringing the word, when you're out there bringing Jesus to other people. So know that right now. That we are in a spiritual battle. We are soldiers of Christ. But I like Paul. He is just unrelenting. And he's working hard for the souls of people. That they would have eternal life and not perish in hell. That's Paul. So here's the impact of one person filled with the word here. He's taking that, going out. And he's this unrelenting soldier. All right, let's go to number two, the unusual miracles, unusual miracles. Verse 11 and 12 here. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left, uh, left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So, Here's these miracles going on, the extraordinary miracles. I, I like NLT. It says unusual miracles, so I kind of stole that as our heading here. But there's these unusual miracles going on, like, like his handkerchief, which is a better translation is, is really his headband, a sweatband. And it was common back then. They put on this headband and, and go to work. And it was common probably for Paul. He's cutting, you know, goat skins and stuff to wear a leather apron, probably some apron, you know, that he wears when he's tent making. So these things that he wears when he's working, well, guys would take that and they, they bring it to the sick and just touching the sick, they'd be healed. Or, or people with demons, that they, the demons would be cast out. Isn't that crazy? Unusually, unusual, extraordinary. I was thinking, wow, wasn't Paul sweat? <laughs> that stuff you know wasn't there dirt from his hands i know i'll be going like this like you know my wife gets mad because i do that anyway i'll be eating something you have a napkin you know (laughs) oh yeah 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 but this we we put it in laundry right no but but can you imagine right his sweat and his dirt and grime and they would take that and they would bring it to people who are sick or diseased and they get healed or, or someone who's possessed with the demon and, and maybe put the apron on them and all of a sudden the demon's gone. Now, it, it seems crazy. I mean, Paul sweat and dirt and just his headband and his apron. But this was the Spirit's now special work. The Spirit was doing some extraordinary miracles, some unusual miracles. You know why? To meet the people where they're at. Let me, let me explain. Remember, the city is very occultic. They're very superstitious on everything. So I believe God helped them to see the truth in what the Word is saying, to see the truth of God and salvation in Jesus, that Jesus is real, that what's spoken about here, God is really in it and behind it. And this would be the loudest way that would speak to them, that they would hear, that would grab their attention. Understand, miracles don't save anybody. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what saves people. That's what 
frees people from their sin. That's what helps people to grow in Christ. It's the Word. It's the truth in God, not miracles. Miracles may grab our attention. Miracles may benefit us, but they don't save us. They don't make us stronger Christians. No. The truth of the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit does that. So, Usually the miracles like we see Jesus did or even these special miracles, they're they're really, God does it for three reasons. One, to show God's compassion, right? God wants to help them. He's not like, oh, you guys are crazy, yeah? His sweatband, yeah. No, he has compassion. They're they're like little kids, like, whoa, whoa." they're all into these superstitious things. So God said, okay, I'll meet you where you're at. Here's a sweatband, you know, you're healed. Uh, Secondly, um, uh, God is there to to teach them a truth about Jesus, and that is that Jesus is greater. He's powerful. And then thirdly, it really is to validate Paul's teaching, right? To show that, you know what Paul Paul is showing? That God has sent him. He is an apostle. God has anointed him. So these things from him, his sweat, yeah, it's powerful because God is in him. Now, God does not always do these kinds of miracles. It doesn't. It's, it's not like um, there's these charlatans out there who, oh, you know, uh, send, uh, I'll send you a, a, a piece of cloth. It's a prayer cloth. And, and you hold that prayer and your prayers will come true. But of course, you've got to send some money to us and we'll send it to you. Right? I mean, I mean I, that's just a game, a scam that they're playing. God does not always use these kind of miracles, and maybe he does here and there, but for this city, the Holy Spirit empowered Paul this way to help these guys. So here's the point. The unusual miracles of the Holy Spirit was to help these people come to the saving truth in Jesus Christ. And and that's God. That's his heart. That's his compassion. That's him trying to help people bringing them to the truth about himself. I remember um, years ago, um, Rose, who started these orphanages in Thailand, we support them. Did, uh, matter of fact, I, I don't know if I told you guys, but Rose actually re- retired and has handed over everything to these, some of these children who stayed and, and helped in the ministry, and she raised up, and they're taking over now but i remember a year long time ago rosa sharing that once she gave a bible to this hostile man on this property and um that was right next to them or in the middle of their property and it, it, it fell on his chest and the man started to say get it off it's burning me it's burning me but you know what it, it, it's not like I'm, I'm going to go to some person's not saved and put the Bible on them. Is it burning you right around now? No, but in Thailand and where she stayed, where she lived, it's very superstitious there, very superstitious. So I believe God used that to get his attention to bring him to the truth of the word. So that's what's going on here. These unusual miracles of the Holy Spirit was to help these people come to the saving truth of Jesus Christ. So, here's God using Paul, the impact of this one person filled with the Word and the Holy Spirit here. So, we've seen the unrelenting soldier, the unusual miracles, and now 
Let's go to number three, the unexpected outcome. The unexpected outcome. We come to verse 13, and I think this is one of the funniest stories in, in the book of Acts here. But in verse 13, we'll read the whole section to verse 17. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to involve the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But, verse 15, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now, I think this is an amazing story. We see here that in verse 13 that there's these itinerant Jewish exorcists. So they would travel around town to town to perform exorcisms. And there was something some of the Jewish guys would do. Now understand, this is the only time in the Bible exorcism, that word, is mentioned. And for me, it's not biblical. I mean, we don't see it in this sense. I mean, uh, I know many pastors, Calvary pastors, who prayed over people who cast them out. But, but for, to do that as some ritual ceremony kind of thing, uh, we don't really see that in the Bible. So these guys, they were going around, they were these exorcists, and people would hire them to, to perform these exorcisms. Now, they liked what they heard from Paul. And they thought, whoa, and what they saw, right? It, just his, his apron or his sweatpan, demons were being cast out. So they're like, oh, hey, we, let's do that too. Let's bring that into our arsenal of things. So they would invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And goes, I adjure you. It seems so proper, yeah. <laughs> I call out to you by the, by the Jesus who Paul proclaims that you come out, you know, kind of thing. And so that they went around there, you know, trying to uh, say, use Jesus to cast out these demons. Now, who are these guys? Well, it tells us in verse uh, 14, that there were seven sons, so seven guys here, seven brothers, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now, there's no record of any priest in that name. So most commentators believe that it's probably a, a self-proclaimed Jewish high priest. Or, the high priests were way up there. But he probably went around saying, I'm a high priest, you know, kind of thing, trying to uh, uh, show his his sort of power and 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 all of this and validate himself but you know all of this was really what their living their job their their, the way they make money yeah and they'll go around and do this and i'm sure it was it was a scam but it does make us think about that perhaps it was working right because they were making money and people were calling on them. And, and I don't know, maybe it didn't work all the time, but it probably did work. So were they real? Well, they weren't saved. So I think that well, a lot of times in the cult and satanic things that 
uh, uh, Satan just plays the game along with them. Yeah, they may go and do this exorcism, and and the demons like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll we'll keep fooling everybody, and they go, right? And so it could have been probably something like that. So here is these guys going around uh, uh, using saying, oh, the I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims, and and trying to cast out a demon in that way. Well, here they try in verse 15, uh, but the evil spirit, the, the demon spirit says, hey, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? I think that's just classic here, right? I mean, could you imagine this demon-possessed man and the demon speaking now through this man, using his vocal cords? And, and here's this demon it's like, Jesus I know. Of course, right? Fallen angels who left their abode in heaven, the Bible tells us, they know who Jesus is. He's God the Son. He's the Lord, the Creator. We know the Bible tells us. Every angel knows who Jesus is. So, of course, they're going to say, Jesus, I know. In Mark 5, 7, remember when Jesus was casting out a demon there, he told Jesus, what are you doing here, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They didn't even recognize him right away. So this one, Jesus, I know. What? Right? Then he says, Paul, I recognize. Now that's interesting. The demons know the soldiers of Christ. They know who they are because Paul is making an impact on that whole region. They don't like Paul. They don't like what he's doing. And then they say, well, who are you? What? You think you can take me on? Yeah. Who are you, you puny little person? You know? You think you're, you're something, right? Immediately, the demon recognized who's the threat and who's not. It's interesting. When the demon said, Jesus, I know. The word know in the Greek is gnosko. And it means uh, experiment, experiential knowledge. In other words, they personally know Jesus. I mean, they, they know who he is because they were once in heaven. When, when the demon said, Paul, I recognize, the word recognize, there's a Greek word, epistamai, which means to know by close attention. You know what? That means the demon been watching Paul, been studying him, been seeing what he's doing. You think the demons are watching us? I think so. I think so. And those of us who's making an impact on others with Christ, even more so, you guys, even more so. The demons know if you're a soldier of Christ and you're one that is, is really making damage there. So here's the demon. <laughs> who are you guys, right? And the man in whom was the, in verse 16, the evil spirit, the demon, leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them. So he's like this man, like I've heard and in, in read and heard from pastors, these, sometimes these demonic beings give superhuman strength to just a mortal man, the one they possess. So this one demon, imagine seven guys. I mean, some translations said it was two guys, but either way, 
maybe the brothers came and helped. I don't know, but they, they, they were uh, overpowered. And this guy beat them, yeah, bruised them, yeah, wrestled them, did the kung fu move on them probably, yeah, and took them on. And then <clears throat> humiliated them so much they, they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Maybe a demon's grabbing their clothes and they, they're just so scared they ran out of the house. This is the first time uh, a streaker is mentioned in the Bible. No. <laughs> but they ran out naked, humiliated, overpowered. And verse 17, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. S- news spread fast, both the Jews and, and the Gentiles. And <clears throat> then fear fell on uh, all those in, in the city there. And the name of the Lord, Jesus, was extolled or honored. So I think this is interesting, though. What a witness and testimony the demons were for the cause of Jesus. <laughs> I, I think, in a way, it backfired on them. They shot themselves in, in the foot. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like, how you know how we know in Isaiah 14, verse 13 and 14, that Satan exalted himself. He wanted to be like the most high God. He was, he was full of pride, full of himself, right? He doesn't see the logic in that at all. So perhaps this demon, who believed that he's better than God too, he got so mad when they mentioned Jesus' name. And, and I think he, because he hates God, he hates Jesus, he hates the cause of Jesus, he, he just got delirious with all that, this hate and couldn't see. They, I would think be better that, oh yeah, he come out of the guy, right? Because then what happens? Then Jesus is just another way to perform an exorcism. They were doing theirs, and oh yeah, let's let's use the name of Jesus. They, uh, Jesus becomes like this this incantation, a name that you use in a spell. I mean, that would have been better than the people of the city are like, oh, Jesus is just like any other god or goddess or something like that. But I think this demon got so upset, so blind to everything, that it backfired on him. You're so mad at these guys. But now, Jesus is extolled, honored, exalted. So the unexpected outcome of exorcism put Jesus in his true and holy light. I think that awesome is what's going on here. God <laughs> used all of this to bring Jesus' name forward in a higher and greater way to show He is God. He is the Lord. Well, Jeffrey B. Wilson said, The work of Satan is overruled so that it assists in bringing to pass the divine purpose. Though Satan, on his part, uses his utmost powers to thwart that purpose. I like that. God overrules Satan no matter what. And we can trust that, you guys. We can trust that no matter the attacks, no matter what's going on, you know what? He's not going to win. Yeah. He, he, Satan and the demons already been defeated 
on the cross. It's a battle. But understand, the battle and the victories, it's about Jesus and Jesus being glorified. And that has to be the pure number one thing. And understand that Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Are you a believer? Do you have Jesus in your heart? Have, have you given Jesus your life? Then God is with you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? Nobody can. The system can. The government can. The world can. The society can. The, the demonic forces that are coming after us, they can. They can't win because we have God. We have the Lord. So how amazing is this? The impact of one person, Paul, filled with the Word and the Holy Spirit. He's this unrelenting soldier, unusual miracles coming, and there's this unexpected outcome, even with uh, how God dealt with this situation. Let's go to number four, the unreserved conviction. The unreserved conviction. And here, it's from, uh, we look at verse 18 through 20, and this is the last section we'll look at tonight. It says in verse 18, Also, many of those who were, with, who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So also what happened is many of the believers came forward. They came, received Christ. But after this incident, they're like, oh, they were convicted. And so they confess their involvement with the cultish practices. And so they came in uh, uh, confessing that. And notice Luke writes, divulging, divulging. Uh, back then, if you were to divulge, uh, uh, the superstition is, if you were to admit like, hey, I'm, I'm into these things, it was to render your powers useless. That's what I was reading. And I think that's crazy how Satan tries to keep you trapped in things sometimes, yeah, in that way. And so these guys not just confessed to the Lord, but they, they divulged it. They were open. Oh, you know, they're convicted. I'm into these things. The, <clears throat> the practices is the word praxis, and it really speaks about magic spells. So these magic arts, these occultish things, uh, it includes like sorcery, witchcraft, all the occultist practices that Deuteronomy 18, verse 10 to 12 speak of, say, this, this is abomination to the Lord. And God's not in, into these things. Uh, and there, it's, in Deuteronomy, it talks about conjuring spells, a medium, psychic stuff, uh, psychic readings. They're, they're all an abomination before the Lord. So all of these things, because really it's, it's, it's tied to what? Demonic, satanic activity. It's not of God at all. These superstitions, no, they're, they're not uh, of the Lord. 
If it's not in here, it's not of the Lord. So we have to stick to the truths that we have here and what we learn right in here. So these guys divulge, uh, these believers confess, and, the, <clears throat> and a number of those who had practiced the magic arts brought their books now, all their material that, that shows them what to do, the incantations, the spells, how to say it, the way to say it. They brought all that together and they burned them in the sight of all. Can you imagine this big bonfire going on? They burned it. They got rid of it as a show of their repentance and confession, as a show that we're not about this anymore. And the value of them was found to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Wiersbe says that's worth a year's wages for 150 workers. It's a lot of money, millions, you could say, maybe of today. So they publicly burn everything in this bonfire. And so what we see is they were sincere, right? They were genuine in this. They were real in their commitment to God. They were real in their faith and in burning all this stuff, all this worth, value to them, at least it once was. They don't care. They're going to let it go. And it showed how they held back nothing because of that conviction, such conviction that was there. The tense, the Greek tense in verse 18, where it says the believers came, it, it, it really speaks of they kept coming. They kept convinced, uh, 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 they kept confessing. They kept revealing, divulging. It, it, they just continued and continued, and believers and believers just kept continuing to come. And you know what? To me, that speaks of a revival going on. Yeah? More believers, more people, more people are coming to the Lord, and they're bringing all this stuff out because God was bringing a revival, light into this dark city. And so verse 20, <clears throat> so the word of the Lord continued to increase and I love this, prevail mightily. The word of God dominated. Paul and the believers made a huge dent there, I would say. Huge impact. Huge in the city of Ephesus. Though I would say this city was Satan's stronghold, one of them, yeah. God was winning the battle for souls. People were getting saved. God took ground. The enemy lost ground. And you know what? You can't win against God, right? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I'll tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No one can stop God. No, not, no demon, not Satan, no evil forces. God prevailed mightily. His word now, you guys. His word. You see why it's important? We teach the word, we go through the word, we study the word. It's his word that made that difference here and that brought the conviction. All of this brought that conviction to the city. So our last point is this. The unreserved conviction of believers brought on a revival in the city of Ephesus. Uh, <clears throat> i like to read to you something H.A. Ironside said. I uh, just listen, it's not going to be on the screen. There's a lot of words, so I just thought I'd read it to you. He said, today, we would like to see revival. We would like to see marked blessing. 
we would like to see a great awakening. It will come when the people of God put eternal things above all else. How many of God's beloved saints are trifling with things that hinder their spiritual lives? How many tampering with unholy things? And I think that's something we got to think about. What are we allowing in, right? What needs to be thrown in that fire, in that bonfire? What are things that we need to confess, divulge, bring out, and throw into that fire these unholy things? There's a movement of God here in this city where individual people confess and surrendered their hearts and lives by throwing these things into the fire. And that's the revival that started. You know, they say, <clears throat> if you want a revival, go outside, draw a circle on the r- ground, step inside the circle and pray the Lord start a re- that the Lord would start a revival beginning inside that circle. It starts with us, each one of us. Well, we come to a close here, and I want to close with this. There was a dark time in England during the 1400s. And this is crazy. A law was passed that no English translations of the Bible were allowed. Isn't that crazy? Only the Latin translation was available for common people, but they they didn't know Latin. Priests were the only ones who officially could read the English Bible. Uh, But one man changed everything. His name was William Tyndale. His heart burned for people, burdened for people, and burned that people would, he, was, he, was, he wanted people to read the Bible in English. So he started work on, on translating uh, from Greek, from the Greek uh, Bible to English. He asked permission to be able to print it, but he was denied. So he traveled from England to Germany, and he secretly translated the, the whole New Testament, printed it. Uh, spies were sent to try and catch him, but he smuggled these New Testaments to in- England. As soon as he did, they all sold out. Finally, there was a spy pretended to be his friend, betrayed him, turned him in, and he was sentenced. He was strangled and burned at the stake. But right before he died, he prayed, God, please open the eyes of the king of England. One year later, I think it was Henry VIII, the king himself made the English translation of the Bible available. It was this one guy changed everything in England when he went all the way, right? Holding nothing back. So, as we close up here, guys, you and I, we can really make a difference. And think about it. We have the Word. The Holy Spirit we talked about last week is in us, right? And so understand, you and I can be like that, like Paul, the, and make the impact of one person filled with the Word and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we close up here, God, I thank you for your word and thank you that we have it. 
Lord, thank you that you empower us with it. We, we learn so much from it. God, thank you that your Holy Spirit is in, with, within us also and fills us. So like Paul, we want to make an impact, God. Like Paul, we want to be able to, Lord, spread your word, save souls, battle for souls. So help us today, God, to do that very thing. God, we want to be your instruments, your tools, Lord. And I I pray, God, that you would help us tonight to do that very thing. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.